Powered by MPB, this is Chalkboard Chat, an MPB education podcast, hosted by Jermaine Flood and Tara Wren. To hear this episode and more, visit education.mpbonline.org or download the MPB public media app to listen on your iPhone or Android device. I'm Jermaine Flood. This special Slate session features the first excerpt from MPB Education's Workforce Wednesday self-presentation series workshops aimed to help you sound and look your best when presenting virtually. Featuring MPB Executive Assistant Claudia Singletary presenting Watch What You Say. This is your Chalkboard Chat Slate session. Thank you. First of all, I'm here today because I am an annoyingly picky person. I am a self-proclaimed word nerd, and I think I came by it really naturally. My grandmother was an English teacher, and I grew up hearing friends, parents, and parents' friends talk about what a good teacher she was. So that transferred down to her four children and then on down to her grandchildren and even two of my children I would consider to be word nerds who are very useful when it comes to proofreading and editing, but we also can drive ourselves crazy. Well, communication has changed drastically over the last 10 years, as we know. For one thing, our little phones are amazing. Secondly, we have streaming services that there are new ones every single day. The podcasts at MPB are more popular than we ever knew they would be. And of course, here we all are on a Zoom video conference, something that we probably did not expect we would be doing. So with all that, how important is it that we really speak correctly? We can text and say W-Y-D instead of spelling out, what are you doing? Now, proof of the fact that I am indeed a word nerd is that I still type out, what are you doing with a question mark? But with all that, why does it matter? Well, in some cases, it clearly doesn't. Most people communicate just fine that way. And I think it's important to note that language is very much a personal thing. It's almost as personal as how we dress every day. So it can be hard to talk about. It can be a cultural thing. I grew up in that little town there, Kosciuszko, which if we said it as it should be in Polish, it would be Kosciuszko. Nobody says that. But for some reason in that small town, the only place I know of this name, which would be Jordan anywhere else in Kosciuszko, is Jordan. We had Jordan Funeral Home. We had Jordan Chevrolet. We had Jordan Furniture. Imagine my friend Mark Jordan might have had to get used to it when he went to Ole Miss and all of a sudden he was Mark Jordan. So it can be very much a cultural thing. But still, I say that I think there are two important reasons to care about it. One of them is that speaking well raises the level of the entire situation. How can that be a bad thing? Calls you to a higher standard. And the second is that it's all about how you want to present yourself. You could go into a situation, interview or a presentation like we're talking about. You might have the best ideas in the world. But if you can't communicate them in a way that, again, sort of raises that level, then what does it matter? It can be a career stopper if you can't express yourself well. Now, of course, we have colloquial language, too, and I don't want to leave that out. One of my father's phrases was, he ain't no count. Now, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, because in this case, the word count was short for the word account. So he was saying that person was of no account. In other words, not worthy. But if you say ain't no count, you're obviously saying this person isn't not of any account. So therefore, they are. Well, now, as I said, he was the child of an English teacher, and he wouldn't have said that in a formal presentation, but he would say it to his daughter to be trying to say, that's not somebody whose habits I want you to pick up. And I knew that. So there are colloquialisms, nothing against that. I took a poll on Facebook recently. For one thing, I did not want to just go with what 
bothers me personally, being the picky person that I am. And the question was, in life with Zoom and other video conferencing, what are some things that speakers do that might take away, detract or distract from their message? And I'm going to start with those because they're recent. And again, they're not just me. These are coming from various Facebook friends who also did not expect to find themselves on Zoom. The first answer I got was, um, uh, yeah, that's it. The first answer I got was saying, um, and, uh, we are so scared of silence a lot, but I think we have to learn that a thoughtful pause is better than filling it in with, um, and, uh, we have to get a little bit more comfortable with that. It's going to happen, but we don't need those crutches and those fillers. Another irritant was if all the presenter did was read what's on the screen. Now, that can be very useful, of course, but if that's all that goes on during the whole presentation is just reading that screen, then the presenter might as well have sent an email or a slideshow. So that's a good outline, but it's not a place to be your whole presentation, of course. And another one is this thing, an upward inflection. Now, we use an upward inflection every day when you say, do you have that report ready? But when you're going along presenting, someone is, and every sentence ends like this, like they're trying to ask a question, but they're really not, like this information is very important, that is not helpful. Generally, we do that one-on-one because the other person is going to go, mm-hmm, and encourage the speaker. But when someone does it regularly, after a while, your ear kind of tunes out because you don't need that and you know they're not really asking a question. Now, we're going to have a quick mention here for another habit, and that's called vocal fry. I was not aware of the name for that, although you hear it a lot. I think it particularly was a thing in the 90s in college and just looking at what I've seen, listening. You may not notice it, but a lot of people have at the end of the sentence, they'll kind of go down and say this, like, well, we're going to take care of that Wednesday. And then after that, we'll talk about it some more. And it's kind of a little gravelly thing at the end. Again, this is a small thing. It's just a habit and it's not conscious. But if you're listening to someone present for a long time, that can be a problem. Then the next thing went to unnecessary preposition that is floating around a lot. And that is the word on. And we're going to talk more about prepositions in a little while because they get in the way a lot. But the word on, well, we're kind of used to it. I would have said um, this presentation for Workforce Wednesday is on next Wednesday. Maybe. I didn't really need it. Now that's transferred to people saying, on yesterday, we did this or that, or we're going to do that on tomorrow. And it's really not necessary. Again, does it really destroy everything? No, but it was mentioned on the survey I took. So it's something to be aware of. We don't need that little on. Today's meeting is 1130 Wednesday. Just one of those things to be aware of. But I think in general, we often use too many words. Let's say for the moment I was going to turn this meeting over to Tara. I could say, without further ado, I shall turn this meeting over to Tara Wren, who is the director of the Education Department in Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The Education Department is very active in blah, 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 blah. Tara recently received her doctorate, which is true. Blah, 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 blah. Well, the truth is, if Tara is one of the presenters, most likely you have her bio right there. The point is, if two sentences will do, You don't need to use 10. It's just something to be aware of because everyone's attendance span is shorter than we would like it to be. But that's just the way it is. A couple of the ways that you can work on these 
is to record yourself. The point is that you're not wanting to detract and distract from your actual message. Recording yourself can be difficult. I had to do it for something recently, and I think it probably took four to six hours to record something that was only 30 minutes long because I heard a lot of my own habits and found that they did detract from my message. Or talk to a friend and ask them to be honest with you. Give a dry run of your presentation and let them tell you what's wrong. And afterwards, don't hate on your friend because they were only doing what you asked. Which comes to the next word mentioned in the survey, which is the word ask. Ask has become more and more common, and I consider it a colloquialism, just like the sentence of my dad's. Don't have an issue with that. And it's much easier to say ask and asked than it is to say ask. But I think when it comes to a professional setting, we still need to say it the way that it is spelled. So, excuse me if that's offensive. You can think of me as the ass if you want to for even having this thought, but I think that it's something to practice. It can be disconcerting if you're going along in a regular production or I should say presentation, and then the word comes out as ax. So it's something to work on. And for the last one in my Facebook survey that was mentioned, it's a word that doesn't exist. You might be guessing it, irregardless. We're used to hearing it a lot. But the truth is, there's the phrase with regard to, such as with regard to that meeting, we talked about blah, 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 blah. And then there's not having regard, which would be regardless, such as today, regardless of the weather, this Zoom presentation will continue. But irregardless would mean you're taking that IR, which means not, and you're saying not regardless, kind of like the double negative that my father used with he ain't no count. Or when we say things like, I ain't got no time for that. We all know what we mean. But in speaking, irregardless, it's not a word. That would mean not, not with regard. So it's kind of like the double negatives back in math. Negative three times negative four equals positive 12. Two negatives cancel and make a positive. Now that may be going farther than you want. So we'll just say strike the non-word irregardless from your vocabulary. It's gone. Now that was kind of the simple stuff. Undoubtedly, one of the biggest problems speakers have these days is subject-verb agreement. We've often heard and said things incorrectly for so long that they sound right to us. Like that sentence I just spoke right there. What if I had said, one of the biggest problems speakers has these days are subject-verb agreement. Would you have heard the error? Would you have heard the two errors that were in there? There's a weird rule that applies in very simple sentences. And sometimes I think if we take things back to the very simple we can see where this is going. I call it, as you see there, the rule of S. The girl shops. Move that S. The girls shop. We don't have that girl shop at Kroger every week. There needs to be an S in there. That girl shops at Kroger every week. The girls shop at Kroger every week. Picking on Kroger. A speaker has many challenges. Speakers have many challenges. And if I had said that sentence right there, a speaker have many challenges, you probably wouldn't have heard that being right. But then we have something that we add into this. Again, that is the very simple rule. It's an important one to remember because when you take things back to their simple structure, those old diagrams that we learned in maybe seventh grade, we can often see what's going on. The complication comes with those lovely things called prepositions. Now, I don't know if you had it this way, but what I remember from being taught prepositions was a picture of a table and the teacher saying, okay, prepositions are a lot what you can do with this table. Something can be on the table, under the table, around the table, through the table. 
in the table, maybe, and the word of. So if you take that, that helps to remember what prepositions are. And of course, prepositional phrases would be what you see there on the table, in the trees. There's the preposition and there's the object of the preposition. Often these can throw off a well-meaning speaker. Like which one is correct of this? Several copies of the article was available. Several copies of the article were available. And the question is, what is the noun here? What is the subject of the sentence? You have to break it down. If you look at article, article was available, but copies were available. So there again, I'm thinking of those diagrams and, and the way we would do it back in grammar school of the article would be a prepositional phrase that was in parenthesis. So the actual subject of the sentence is copies. Copies were available. Okay, to do that, you have to separate it out. And I even drew my own here. And I don't know if you remember this, probably you hated it. Most people did, unless you're a word nerd. But pictures on the table either has or have fallen. Well, there again, table has fallen, but we're not talking about the table. We're talking about the pictures. So the pictures have fallen. It's just something where you have to separate it and think about it. And again, a lot of times we've heard these incorrectly or spoken them incorrectly. One piece of advice is get your own personal word nerd and ask for help when you're not sure. Because again, we all have colloquialisms. We all grew up where we did. And sometimes we all need help. <laughs> get your own personal word nerd and ask for help for our blind spots. I'll tell you, pick on Ronnie. Ronnie is my boss. He's the executive director of MPB. He was the executive editor of the Clarion Ledger for 14 years and of other papers before that. He probably will write a book one day. I hope he does. But Ronnie himself says everybody needs an editor. And that is why I look through his letters and things and often don't find anything to change. But the point is, if someone who's been an editor for years and years, a word nerd in his own right, says that he needs one, then I think everybody does. He certainly edits what I write, finds a lot more errors. Another big problem we have are the words is or the words I and me. Now, the grammar rule would be that I is used for the subjective case and me for the objective. But unless you're a word nerd, that doesn't really matter. I think the misuse came because when we were little and you might say, me and Anne are going to go over to her house. Your mother would say, who? And the answer would be, oh, Anne and I. So we tend to think that the word I is always correct, but it isn't. That sentence right there, that is a picture of he and I. That sounds correct and intelligent, but break it up. You wouldn't say that is a picture of he or that is a picture of I. You would say that is a picture of him. That is a picture of me. So the phrase would, it would correctly be that is a picture of him and me. Technically, those are in the objective case. Now we put it down in another way, turn the sentence around. He and I were in a picture. Yes, that is correct, because I was in a picture and he was in a picture. So in the one sentence, it should have been him and me. And in a similar sentence with a similar meaning, it is he and I. It all matters on where it comes in the sentence. The word myself. We've heard this a lot lately. Exactly that sentence. If you need more information, contact Shirley or myself. That word should have been me. Often myself is not needed. Myself comes in more with things like, I myself have this problem. I myself just skipped a page. The truth would be try me or I first. And then if that works, you don't need the word myself. We don't need Sheila and myself will take care of it. Sheila and I will take care of it. 
Now, all of this is kind of a review and an overview, of course. Almost any of these topics could take more time. We could have worksheets, all kinds of things. And being English, there are exceptions to every rule. But I think the main thing is determined to listen to yourself and be willing to make changes as you need to. Let others help you out because we all have colloquialisms. We all have blind spots. Listening to yourself and being willing to ask others to help you out. It's better to go through a little bit of mistrusting yourself and asking to gain more confidence and professionalism in the long run. Otherwise, you could be possibly hurting your own cause or even hindering your career. So fortunately, if you Google something like most common grammar or pronunciation errors, you will find good information there that can be helpful. And there is a wonderful book and many others like this one by Stephen Covey. And it covers everything from general communication to when to use semicolons and how to set up resumes. None of those things are easy. So books like this help out. And that is what this word nerd has to share today. Thank you. For more information about MPB Education's Workforce Wednesday workshops, visit education.mpbonline.org. And this has been your Chalkboard Chat Slate Session. You've been listening to Chalkboard Chat, an MPB education podcast. To hear this episode and more, visit education.mpbonline.org or download the MPB public media app to listen on your iPhone or Android device. This podcast is hosted with love by ACAST.